You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys over here on my right. We've got the one and only Mr. Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hi, guys. Hey, Bobby. Next to him, we've got Mr. Scott Gershon. Hello, Mike. And across the table, we have Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Nick. It's so good to see you again. It's good to see you, brother. Long time. I know. I missed the last two podcasts in a row. That's, that's unheard of. It, it, in fact, it was unheard of. I had not missed a single episode since joining the panel. But, uh, you know, life gets in the way sometimes while you're busy making other plans. Well, that's, that's great. Yeah, but it is wonderful to be back with my friends and colleagues and to see you all here. I missed all of you and missed the podcast, so I'm delighted to be back. And right next to him, over here on my left, we've got the one and only, I've never missed a podcast, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. And the smartest guy that I know. Seriously, by far. I don't know about that, but at least I'm here in person tonight. <laughs> Not on Skype. Yeah, but you know what? You're here in person, but literally two minutes before we started recording, Rob has his notebook open and is like programming what looked like Egyptian hieroglyphics, you know, to basically take over the world. It was just a little JavaScript to keep me occupied. JavaScript. Hieroglyphics. That just means I'm way overextended and have no free time, is what that means. <laughs> Writing code during the drive. But you know what? It's good to see you, though. It's like, good to be here in person, you. see everybody. Yeah. I've been away for a while. You have been away. Actually, I've been away for six weeks. And, uh, and like we said last time, when you're here, we know you'll stay awake. Sometimes on that Skype, you get really quiet. You go into like hibernation. Well, yeah, because a lot of times I'm in New York and it's really late. <laughs> So um, so it's nice to be here in person. Yeah. Well, we have a great show today. We've got a lot to talk about. It's uh, potpourri of things, but some things that are, that are super, really important. But before we start anything else, I, I just want to talk about something that's kind of fun that I noticed this morning on the way in. Um, do you guys have any um, rituals that you go through before you start working, before you start a mix, or before you start an edit? Um, I, was, I actually have this ritual, and, and I just noticed it because I was thinking – it all started from when I was listening on sports radio about different rituals of different baseball players and what they do every single time they go up to bat and stuff like that, you know? And I was thinking, do I have any rituals? And I was thinking, I do. There's certain things that I do. And depending on, on, on what I'm mixing or what I'm going into, I, I do certain things. It's like I listen to talk radio. I don't listen to anything but talk, whether it's sports talk or anything. And then when I reach a certain point in L.A. on my drive-in, I switch to music. And I go music all the way into into the studio because it gets me pumped and gets me going. And then when I come into the studio, I I go really silent. I don't listen to any music. And I just jump into – and I do that every single time. Every single time. So do you guys have any rituals that – like what, what do you have, Bobby? Uh, kind of mundane stuff, but it's actually important to me. First is – the lighting in the room, I make sure that that's right. The temperature, I always make sure I have the temperature that's comfortable. Clothing, especially comfy food, the comf- comfy uh, shoes, and uh, a flannel shirt that I like because it just makes me comfortable. And then quiet, uh, 10 minutes of quiet before I start uh, as a reference point. And probably what I'll do is put on a couple of songs that I know are really good sounding 
one from maybe Steely Dan, one from Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> and then one that I've done in the past, so I have a reference point, and then I begin. Nice. How about you, Scott? you have any rituals that you go through before you start work? I, yeah, I sort of. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of crazy because I, I, I have two hats. I have a business hat and a creative hat. So usually I'm in business mode at about 5.30 in the morning. I'm using my computer, uh, sending out emails to everybody. Then I get in my car, do my drive. I'm on the phone to everybody. <laughs> then I get to work. And um, I like to try to get the business out of the way. So the morning part is the business side. Then I'd like to kind of go for lunch. I also, it's, I'm kind of weird. When I design, when I mix is different, but when I design... I actually like to have music in the background. And it has nothing to do with listening to it. I hate to say it's like Pink Floyd. Right. Stuff that just kind of mellows me out. It starts clocking my creative mode. Because silence for me is kind of deafening. Sure. So I don't particularly like a whole lot of silence. So when I start hearing it in the background, it, it kind of relaxes me a little bit. And then I just start in. And next thing I know, it's like 7, 8 o'clock at night and I got to go home. Wow. Rob, how about you? Do you have any rituals when before you start? Anything you? Uh... Well, one of my rituals is I wake up in a panic when I realize something's due that day. That's, <laughs> that's a good way to start. That's one of my uh, rituals. I guess my main ritual is, uh, and those of you who've seen my studio will understand this. I don't like ever having to patch a bunch of things during a session. I like to set up everything. Like I may have fifty synths going, but I like to have them all set up ahead of time. Because once I get in the zone uh, creatively, I like to sort of just sit in my chair and not have to move around or patch stuff because it just takes you out of the process. Right. So I'm just I'm big on trying to set up this huge elaborate setup, but then just focus on the music or focus on the sound design or whatever it is, and, and not have to deal with all the technology. So I try to separate, do all the technology stuff first, right, and then just focus on the creativity. And obviously, there's times where you have to go back and forth a little bit, uh, but. Yeah, I, I like to leave. It's why I have so many inputs on my Pro Tools. I like to have everything set up all the time and never have to just get up and patch stuff. Even for a, a VO session, you have like 200 things inputted. Well, you, in you may need 100 synthesizers for a VO. You never know. <laughs> the ARP 2500, that's absolutely perfect. <laughs> you never know. Nick, how about you? Any rituals before you, you start working? Uh, yeah, absolutely. For, um, for years, uh, when I had my own place, um, I would burn incense and I had colored lighting, which I really liked. It was just very yeah. um, relaxing and creativity-inducing to have. You know, I mean, you don't have to have anything fancy. You can literally go to Home Depot and get some red and green, you know, blue lights yeah. and have them up. And, and it just sort of changes your whole perspective on things. Um, these days, I don't – like Scott, I don't have that kind of uh, – I don't have that kind of luxury. I go back and forth between you know, going to meetings and meeting with people and talking about things and making decisions and then realizing that I've got 45 minutes in my schedule to do a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think at this point, it's much more of the creativity as a muscle thing and right. I'm able to just sit down and – and just get to work doing what it is that I that I need to do. But there's no question in my mind that that kind of multitasking and that kind of short attention span theater kind of stuff is right. is nowhere near as good and nowhere near as fun as being able to really sit down and be able to have you know two or three or four or five hours in the zone in the creative process. For sure, I miss that, and I know that I'll get back to that again. Um, I know Brandon because I've been up to his uh, studio when he's been working. He uh, 
he burns incense and scented candles, and you walk in there, and it's it's this best smelling little yeah. studio. <laughs> but it's it's it definitely the you can tell when he's in work mode because the the candles burn in and the lights are low. So. See, and I'm deathly allergic to incense. So I would just be sitting there, super creative and covered with hives. <laughs> you know what I do though is I like I like depending on what I'm doing. Like if I'm not mixing a picture, let's say if I'm going to be doing some sound design or if I'm mixing music. Um, I like having video play, uh, even if it's. And I got way back when I used to work in the studio. Um, they used to always have CNN running just to have something on the monitor, monitor going. And so I got into watching videos. So sometimes I'll watch video, but you know, you know what I watch now? I got the best website. It's uh, it's called tvnweather.com and it's storm chasers that are live streaming the where they're at so you just see a giant storm and and i i just i get addicted to that i was like working in the studio the other day and i just had that plan and all of a sudden i looked over and there's a little twister going it's just it's crazy that's the laziest form of storm watching you don't even have to get out of your chair you don't you don't and there's like a dozen of these guys out about so but it's just I don't know. There's something about so, having so you some, have a video going, and when you work, I have it on the on the side on my laptop. Wow, I always have TV on in the background. Y- y- Rob can tell what happens when there's a TV in the room, and I show up. I it's like pretty shiny, and I I literally go in front of TVs. I watch it and. And I'm shut yeah, off. Scott has left the room. As soon as there's a TV on, you cannot get his attention. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Sometimes I need to look away. I've worked in in windowless studios for twenty years, and 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 I really, if you ever seen the documentary on um, Real World Studios of Peter Gabriel's place, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of studios now that have windows, but. Man, it's just something about being able to look out to be well, looking. That's at something. I built my whole place around that idea. Yeah, no, you know, I don't even have curtains on the windows. It's just you got a view. I have yeah. a view, and it's just it's very so, peaceful, very nice. Yeah, sometimes you just the you know. We so don't in Hollywood Boulevard, it's great. You can look out, and people can look in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I, oh, somebody's know. Uh, you know. If I could get a studio, if I could get a window, and I would absolutely do it. And I, there's a place um, I forgot what the name of the studio was in. Uh, in Santa Monica, and they had the best window view I've seen of the uh, of the All ocean. People on the beach. Oh, it was great! <laughs> no, but it, you look at the pictures, and I'm like, that's just awesome to be able to see a, a sunset and to just to see. I don't know. Just or are you the, thinking just, about Richard Gibbs' place at Woodshed and Zuma Beach? Yeah, I'm not sure where it, it, it was. It's the most fabulous place ever. I mean, not only is the view great because you can look all the way down the peninsula uh, and, and over Zuma. But it's the most intelligently designed studio I think I've ever been in. He's a film composer. Yeah. And what he, he built his studio so he could put, I think, 40, a 40-piece 40 orchestra in and record. There are no walls unless you want there to be. And he has these imported German walls that come out from the sides. Oh, and then, cool. then what they do is they connect... Um, with the the floor and ceiling, and they make an airlock. But not only one layer, just like most studios, there's two walls that come out with an air space in between. So it I mean, is you take the walls point. away, is it outside? I mean, no, no, this no, is it inside. Divides it, up a room. Yeah, it divides oh. it up. It can divide it up in half or thirds. And then he can move his console and stuff, monitors, you know, the recording things that we do, he can move it anywhere in the room. 
So if you feel like being over in the wall, you can be. If That's you feel cool. like being, you know, in front of the windows, you can be. I, it, it's fantastic. It, it's so, and then you can open up the the doors and the windows and everything, and you have that beautiful breeze coming in. It's fantastic. Wow, well, it, it's amazing how how you feel affects just your creativity. You know, just you know, just the little things, the lighting, the temperature. Um, even today, I was working on some notes from a client long story but the notes were actually getting me angry <laughs> and i i could only do so many before i had to back off because it's like you get you start getting yourself upset and you start you know you don't want to mix angry you know you don't want to you don't want to you never want to yell don't mix angry i haven't heard that advice before <laughs> it's so true uh, uh hey man that's it's Clients, they're a necessary evil, as they say. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I just wanted to—I just wanted to mention this. I wanted to talk about this because it got me thinking because of the conversation I was listening to about the uh, about the baseball players. But baseball players have nothing on audio guys, right? I think the overall way to sum it up is every ritual before should be about getting to the getting to the creativity and away from the tools. You know, it's never about the tools, and I, it sounds like for each of us. We're all just trying to get into that zone where we're not thinking about the tools or the business or anything else. It's purely about the creativity. You're genius. See, it just doesn't stop. It just no, that, that, that was, was no. That's true. What you guys said. That's absolutely true. That's that's a great point. And Cutting I was just going to drop it right there, but you actually encapsulated it. In well, you set him up. I'll knock him down. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you. We'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, now moving on. A um, couple things I want to talk about. Number one is. Uh, Last week, Pandora royalties—they're going to be paying more, like forty-five percent more. Are you familiar with that, Bobby? At all about what happened in the? Uh... Yeah, they lost a um, a ruling, so now they're paying more, a lot more in in royalties. That being said, there's a back door. What Pandora has done is they bought a radio station in Idaho, I believe. So. In order, when they buy the radio station, now they can actually pay less royalties uh. because they're paying um, radio station level royalties. So now that's the next thing in contention. So yes, they're paying more temporarily, but we'll see what happens. So they can pay all their royalties based on what they would pay through this one little radio station? Yeah, yeah. And, and wow. actually, they've been fighting that for a while, but they actually just won the ruling on that. Wow. So, and, you know, it's going to be appealed. They're back and forth in court, you know, incessantly, all the time. Uh, that being said, you know, again, what they pay is far less because they're um, non interactive, they're radio like. They pay a whole lot less than the Spotify's of the world who are interactive, meaning that you can select the songs that you want to hear. And, of course, their free tier, which most people have, is paying even less. So it's not like you're making tons of money off of Pandora, you know, for lots and lots of plays. Hmm. So it's, it's just a little, small little bump on the road then. Well, it, there's a lot of people that really dislike the management of Pandora. One of the reasons why is, I mean, you can look at, at any of the other streaming services and you can say, okay, these people are trying to make money, they're, and but what they're trying to do is be fair to everybody at the same time. They're not cashing out. You know, the founders aren't cashing out, except for Pandora, 
where the founder of Pandora has been cashing his stock like crazy. Hmm. And he's made more money himself than Pandora has paid out in royalties. Wow. So when you look at that, you go, okay, there's something wrong with this picture here. Sheesh. That's just depressing. It really is. But, you know, again, if you look at Daniel Ek over at Spotify, that's not been the case. And, and you look at RDO and, and you know, just yeah. about anybody else, that's not the case at all. So, um, you know, you have the good guys and the bad guys, the white hats and the black hats still. Wow. No, not much to say there. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Click. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing I want to talk about, um, another thing I want to cover was, uh, oh, Bobby, you brought this up, um, the, uh, the Dynamount. Yes. I thought this was very cool. It was on my production blog this morning, meaning when you're listening to this, it's probably about three weeks old. <laughs> <laughs> but what it is, it's a robotic arm that will allow you to change the mic positioning. And depending on the model that you buy, it can change it either left, right, up, down on a single axis, or it will rotate it, or you can actually have two microphones, which will both rotate and go in and out, up and down. That I think it's brilliant from the standpoint that just about everybody is a single man operation anymore in their home studios. And the one thing that you can't do efficiently is mic placement. You can go out there and kind of look at it. You go back and you listen in the control room on your headphones, whatever it might be, and you think, oh, that's not right, and you go running back out. And it's really inefficient. takes a lot of time. This is brilliant because from your iPhone or from your computer, it's, it's an app, a separate app that you use, you could move the microphone remotely and also store presets. Yeah. So it's pretty fantastic, I think. Now, it's in Kickstarter, right. so this isn't a product yet. But that being said, it looks like they're actually going to meet their goal because I think they're really close to it. And by the time you hear this, <laughs> it'll be over. No, they're actually over it. Oh, they're over now? Yeah, they're yeah. like 7,000 over their 30,000 goal. So 30,000 isn't all that much to launch a product, so it makes me wonder about yeah, it. Yeah, that scares fact, me. That's yeah, not much. They've, they've underfunded themselves. Well, hopefully they they still have sixteen days, so hopefully they'll get it. They'll get enough money. It's a great idea. The whole concept of moving microphones. There's a whole generation that doesn't know what it was like to actually have an engineer behind the console where you're having your seconds move the microphones as you're listening to the guitar player, so that you can know. You know what tone you want, by, or in a snare drum yeah, or overheads. Exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's tons of different. A lot of times you see. And you see this at schools. You see them get in there and they set it up. Okay, let's go. And they don't realize that, well, you can still move your mics even after you set them up to get whatever tone that you're going to get. Especially on guitar cabinets. You know, guitar cabinets, the the tone can change radically. You know, Mm -hmm. wherever you place that 57, you know, if you want a little more bite and then you go out towards the end of the cone and stuff like that. Um, So that's what's cool about this is it brings. A little bit back to the craft of uh, placing microphones. Well, as they say, you can't effectively place a microphone by sight. You could start at a certain point that you're familiar with, but then it's a crapshoot because it's every song is different, every arrangement is different, every player is different. Every you know, you can go on down the line. Every you know, musician is different. Uh, every instrument is different. The microphone is different. So yeah. you can start in one place, but chances are it's not going to end up there. 
You know, mic placement, it's just so important. It really is. I mean, where you place a, even the piano, I mean, people have been trying to find the perfect place to mic a piano forever. I mean, you see all kinds of different ways of doing it with the lid open, with the lid closed. Do you put two? Do you put three? Do you use the soundboard? I mean, microphones, well, Stevie, you know, how many different ways did he go through um, Mike and his piano? Yeah, but you know what this reminds me of? Because Gary O, who's been my partner for a really long time, has engineered and mixed, you know, most of Stevie's great stuff. And I learned so much about mic placement from watching Gary work because it's just, I mean, he's amazing at it, but it's so simple what he does. He puts his ear where the mic is going to be. You'd be amazed how many engineers don't do that. It's like, if you're miking an acoustic guitar, well, step one is put your ear where you think you're going to put the mic and see what it sounds like. You know? Yeah. It's at least well, a starting point. The, the, there's several ways. One way is to cup your ear that you're listening, and that gives you the, the feel of a, a directional microphone. Mm-hmm. And, and you only use one ear. For stereo, you do the same thing. For an omni then you'd take the cup away. So in other words, you have your hand cupped a- along your ear, and that gives you a- an idea of what the directional microphone would be. Right. It at least gives you a starting point. Yeah. No, you can true. always adjust it, but um, there's some common sense that goes into that that you know, isn't that common unless someone teaches it to you. What's your favorite way of micing a piano? We've done all kinds of different ways, but usually what ends up working is just two good mics and an X pattern. Any particular place on the, on the piano itself? No, I mean, it's based on the song, whether we're trying to accentuate a bigger, roomier sound or more low end of the piano, more high end on the piano. And the piano type. And the piano itself, yeah. I mean, a lot of, like, Stevie's the one who I've seen the most pianos mic'd for, and his pianos are all um, really bright. Yeah. So they're bright even without trying. So a lot of times you'd accentuate the low end because it would still have plenty of top. What what does he use? Out of curiosity. Yamaha? You mean piano-wise? Yeah, piano-wise. Uh, mostly Yamahas. Yeah. Mostly Yamahas. I mean, he has Bosendorfer and Fazioli yeah. and other C- stuff. But, C7, yeah. C9s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, C7s, mostly. C7. There was, uh, I remember going with Mick to... Uh, but I, I will say, some of them, he's had the, the hammers hardened and lacquered. Oh, wow. To oh. Make brighter. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. Overjoyed, it's a, it's a Yamaha, I think it's a C7, but it's, uh, the hammers have been lacquered, and it's a really bright piano. I mean, if you just walk into the room and play it, it's almost like a tack piano. But, and the action. What what kind of action does he like to have curiosity? I'm trying to think. I don't think... It's funny because I'm not that picky about action. And I don't really think he is either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the standard Yamaha action. It's just for a lot of pianos, uh, he has multiple actions. So like for the Bosendorfers, you could slide out a regular action and slide in a lacquered action. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to change the action on the pianos frequently, and it's a pain in the butt. Wow, I it's not. I mean, you just take out some screws and the whole thing comes out. But uh, yeah, he have multiple actions for the same piano. Wow, I remember going to with Mick to uh, Stevie's um, warehouse and seeing it. It just looked like a graveyard of miking techniques for pianos because you see all these different bars and different oh yeah mechanical setups. That, you know, one time it was you know everybody was trying to get him to. Well, also to a mic. lot of them were for. Uh, some were for the studio and some were for the road, right. which would be totally different. Yeah, the road was. He only played well when we were when I was with him. Was that you know this, the the blue big piano, blue Yamaha, which yeah. is a C seven, I think. Yeah, which it had. It was painted blue, and it, 
had a giant map of Africa on it. Yeah, but it was it played really well though. It was, oh, it was a great piano. It was a great, I mean, for the amount of traveling that that thing did. And I think the hammers they awesome. weren't lacquered on that, but they were hard. Yeah, he likes. And it sounds great when you record, you know, piano that really bites through. You just hear it through everything. He's such a percussive keyboard player. Mm-hmm. You know, look at his clav work, right? I mean, yeah. it would follow, it would make sense that he would really like that kind of sound. But the overjoyed piano, if you actually just walk up to it, walk up to it in a room, you think something's wrong. It's so bright. <laughs> but records I, I great. Bet that, that was the, the trick on the famous Trident piano. Uh, when it, it tried in studios in London that was so bright that was on you know Beatle Records and Bowie Records and Elton John all the, the early Elton John things and and people forever were trying to get that sound thinking it was the miking technique and it was the piano it's the, the piano. whole time yeah. and I bet it was that they had the I'm sure they had the hammers hardened yeah well when I went to Ben Fold's studio last year I think it was he has a tack piano where they tacked all the hammers and stuff and it was it's sharp and yeah. But it cuts. All that. Oh, yeah. Cuts yeah. for everything. I mean, you, EQ can't give you certain kinds of immediacy or even brightness. I mean, well, the transient, it's just yeah. not there on a regular piano. And on these pianos, it, it's like a spike. It just smacks you. Yep. But anyhow, getting back to the original point was uh, on this Dynamount. It looks, it looks pretty cool, and I, and I hope they do well. It, they seem a little low on the funds, you know. Well, the, we'll the other thing is the, the price is not inexpensive. The cheapest one is going to retail for three ninety nine, and that's the one that's just a single axis of movement, either left, right, or up, down. And if you want two axes, 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 axes. yeah, okay. <laughs> if you want two of them, two of those things, then uh, it's four ninety nine. If you want two mics, single axis is five ninety nine, and two mics with multiple axes, axes C's, it's uh six ninety nine. So that's retail, so it'll probably be less than that. But it's still not well you can get so, an intern to move a mic for zero ninety nine. Yeah, so yeah. that's the other option. What's interesting is I I wonder how much noise this makes because I think you could do some really cool stuff moving the mic at the same time as you're recording, I just there's oh, as long as you don't hear exactly that's the whole thing. You're right. That'd be cool. It'd be a cool effect. If it, but we'll see. Have Anyhow, you actually seen one work in person or no? Only no, on the just video. only on the video. video. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. And I wanted to give him a little love because uh, it's it, like it's encouraging, you know, uh, an art that. A lot of people don't pay attention to you anymore. So, uh, going to give them. I think step one is learn how to basically place a mic before you start moving it around. Mm. <laughs> that's true. You know, but putting your ear to where your mic is going to go. That's I know, just kind of common sense. That's yeah. like com- it is, but it isn't. It's almost so simple that people wouldn't think about it because I never thought of it. I does, just saw him do it. Does Gary use earplugs when he goes out and he does it? No, and I don't know how he takes. I mean, and I've seen him do it. He did it for Stevie Ray Vaughan sessions where it's so loud, you know, your skin is peeling off. He doesn't wear earplugs. And he still has really acute hearing, but... I, I, you know, it wouldn't bother me so much for guitar players as it would for... Well, it's bad enough, but drummers, drummers some, especially. Some yeah. Yeah. No, he's right snare up against the man. snare. He's Ooh, right up against the snare. That, but yeah. he has been since Songs in the Key of Life. You know, you know what? Next time I, I do a VO session, I'm going to just get right up to the, the VO person. Yeah, VO talent <laughs> loves that. If you yeah. just stick your ear in their mouth. <laughs> now read your line into my ear. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go, there's no sound coming from there. <laughs> well, well, wait a second. 
Would you do that for when you're doing effects? How about for the gun shoot you're going to do? <laughs> yeah, stick your ear on yeah. there. I, go, I, I think I'm keying into that 3K tone in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything sounds like a tone. That's awesome. I'm going to try that. <laughs> um, one other thing I want to say, uh, so we can finish off this little potpourri um, section. I got the best app. The best app this past weekend, and that's the IM1, it's, which is an M1 emulator on your iPad. A Korg M1. Korg so, M1. Ah. Korg M1 on your iPad. And you know what? It sounds like a Korg M1. The it 80s is, are so happy. It is, <laughs> it is, it's that M1 What about the D50? Sound. Anything? Come on, I was I was M one. Yeah, yeah, right. You're either M one or D fifty. Yeah, I mean, it was like then. you know D fifties, right? D fifties were awesome. You know that what was that Fantasia the patch? Chime, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. But the M one came along, and all the guys that couldn't afford the D fifties when they were when they first came out, and then the M one comes out, and now you have the money where you can afford it, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go with the M one. Yeah, because you know it's shiny. It was easier to program too, I think. The D50 looked, was crazy. It looked cool. Although the D50 had some great sounds too. They had the 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 THX sound on the on the D50. That little filter sweep oh, that they yeah, did. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. First time I heard that, it was like. Now I wonder how many people listening to this actually know what the hell we're talking about. I know. About. I know. We're going old school. How about digital native dance? I mean, that was the yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I actually still have the M1 and the D50 set up interact together. Ah. Uh, that's and the tri- the key with the D50 was the programmer, yeah. the little sliders that made yes, it easier because right, that right. thing was a nightmare to program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without it. Yeah, I had the uh, the M1 and then the O1W, mm-hmm. the Core yeah. O1. That oh, was yeah, that was awesome. Have we told the story of the O1W? What story? How it got its name? No, which I- we don't know if it's folklore <laughs> or true, but I think it's true. What is it? Well, the M1 had been a really successful synth, and the synth after it was supposed to be the M10. And they put the label on upside down. <laughs> Are you kidding? I, I totally that is a story I've heard now. Someone who's listening may be able to write in and say that has never been true, but it's one of my favorite stories, whether it's true or not. I but never, I think it's true. I never heard that. But yeah. depending on the font, sure, you could get away yeah, with it. You could wow. do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, how the M10 became the O1W. Uh, that's awesome. I hope it's true. I do too. I've heard it for 25 years. I hope that, it's true. The Korg, when they did that, they did the M1, O1W, and the Wave Station. Those were like, those were solid, you know, pillars. I still got my Wave Station. I got my Wave Station. That was like, this is solid pillar sense, you know. And then, uh, then they and went We know who was the, behind the Wave Station. Or was hugely involved with the Wave Station. Who? I know. Dave Smith. Was he really? Mm-hmm. Was he really? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that from the Prophet VS? Mm-hmm. D- Dave Smith for, for, from yeah, sequential circuits. From sequential circuits. Yeah. And, and now and back also, to being sequential circuits. And also the father of, one of the fathers of MIDI. Of MIDI, yeah. yeah. Ah, see, no wonder I like that synth so much. That, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That is, yeah, man, the wave station was... It was speaking of which, have, has anybody tried his new stuff? Because I hear it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Dave Smith Instruments. Oh, yeah. it's great. Their instruments, are, his synthesizers are awesome. They're yeah, great. the new, what is it, Prophet 6? Yep. Uh, that he showed at NAMM is spectacular. Is it? Really good. Yeah, that's... Wow, that's, they are, that's they awesome. Are primar- you know, they primarily have digital oscillators, and I can't remember whether they have analog filters or digital filters, but where, whatever it is, 
they they still sound great. They don't feel digital at all, even though any knobs that you're turning are definitely, you know, you're turning something digitally, which is then making a voltage change somewhere if it's an analog thing rather than a direct change. But they're they're wonderful and they're remarkable and they sound great and they are affordable. You know, compared to, I mean, you remember how much a Profit 5 or a Profit $6,000. Yeah. Back so then, yeah. back then. So they were affordable, and that means that the ability for people to be able to come in and enjoy the beauty of, you know, sculpting their sound on their instrument with their hands and, you know, changing the knobs and stuff. Dave Smith is still keeping that alive. It's and, great. And people don't realize uh, the whole big excitement at NAMM was that Yamaha, who owned the name Sequential Circuits, allowed him to have it back. Yeah. So he's now back to actually manufacturing under sequential That's circuits great. again. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's and it was pretty much a gesture of goodwill. Just Yamaha had bought the name and never really did anything with it and just said it should go back to the rightful founder. Amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome. I didn't know that about the wave station. That's pretty cool because that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite synths of all time. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, the first time I – the vector, you know, they'll affect the little joystick and you do the little vector. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Stuff. I mean, that's just – Well, at the next NAMM show, just, you can give Dave a big hug and just freak him out. <laughs> <laughs> like unexplained hug. I'll just, uh-huh. I'll just hug him. <laughs> Wait, who's this guy hugging me? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what. You know what? Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, Rob's rig that he has to put together. And yes, then, I need help. And then we're also going to talk about uh, a little segment. Um, it's going to be really great. It's going to be on levels and layering. So we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were basically going down uh, memory road there. You know? mm-hmm. Korg M1s, wave stations... O1W, which is M10. Roland D50. D50. Uh, Those were all great, great keyboards. Um, But speaking of keyboards, Rob, uh, you got to put together a new rig. And I thought that was, you know, when we were talking a little bit before the podcast, I said, you know what, quiet, let's talk about this uh, on the air because that's actually um, a pretty Yeah, we always talk about all kinds of things when we're not recording and then. You hit record, and it's like, well, there's nothing left to talk about. (laughs) But yeah, I need to put together a new kind of writing setup. And I'm pretty sure, like my previous ones, that I'm going to do it in Cubase. Right. Um, Although it's going to be a new computer starting from scratch, so I'm sort of open to any ideas. And it's going to be for a client that we won't say names, but are unique in the... uh, Yeah, just very demanding and need a million sounds and... Just easy to get around on, and again, trying to take the technology out of the equation and put the creativity back in as much as possible. And the thing is, like walking around the NAM show, uh, we checked out all kinds of amazing virtual instruments. But the problem is, if you're trying to build, and this is supposed to be a mobile setup, it's going to be on a laptop. And the problem is, some of these plugin manufacturers have done amazing things, but they're CPU hugs. So it's like you may have the world's greatest ARP 2600, you know, baseline sound, but if it uses up your whole computer so that, you know, it can't actually play any other sounds, what good is it? So I'm trying to find the plugins that are the most <laughs> most versatile uh and also reasonably well-behaved CPU-wise so that we can actually do a full production 
in the box. And I'm just, it's been a while since I built one of these setups. I mean, years and years ago, we did it with plugins like Colossus and Raw, which tended to be just giant libraries based on Contact, you know, much older version of Contact. And now I've used, for, for a lot of synthy stuff and for dance stuff, I use a lot of the Rob Papin plugins, which are absolutely great. But for just great sound libraries and uh, the ability to have just a band in a box and an orchestra in a box and sound effects in the same box, uh, I'm sort of at a loss for where to turn. I mean, I'm going to do what I always do, which is a massive amount of Googling and then <laughs> calling my favorite dealers in town and saying, okay, what's the cool stuff? But Well, uh, I, I'll give you a couple that I, I'm really buzzed about. Well, Omnisphere 2 obviously is such a it's may not be the most efficient cpu but it's man it's just a deep awesome awesome synth and it sounds great and you can do so many different things and the programmability in it i mean um my issue with that and i think omnisphere is amazing but when you use it too much then everything you do ends up sounding like an omnisphere right. demo right and yeah, if you, if you and i don't stay, mean to say anything bad about it no, cuz no, i think no, it's no. amazing but but see but there is some truth to that, there's if, a lot of truth to If that. you stay in the presets, but if you go and you start digging in and you start programming it, you can really get some sounds that are you can. pretty I'm, awesome. I'm trying to focus more on a giant arsenal yeah. where you don't have to do a bunch of programming just because this client isn't going to want to do much programming. <laughs> um, it's more about having a huge palette to choose from. Like the, the library that comes with Contact. Is pretty good. I mean, it's definitely yeah. huge. Well, there's so many different libraries. There's so many different ones, and it's a little confusing to navigate. But um, there's a lot of good stuff there. And chances are, if you know you need a sound, they probably have some version of it. Yeah. My issue with the contact library is it's never the best version of it. Like, if you just say, oh, I need an acoustic guitar sample real quick. Well, there'll be one. And it won't be nearly as good as some other plugin that specializes in acoustic guitar, but it'll be good enough. Well, there's so many libraries for contact, though. It's like there's there's not one acoustic guitar. There's literally probably 50 right. great ones out there. But I'm saying if you buy contact yeah. itself, it comes with one. Oh, yeah, you're and right. And it'll be okay. Yeah. It's better than not having one. Well, what's but also nice great. with contact, though, is they have their, with the, uh, was it Ultimate 11? Ultimate, yeah. Because I, I bought Ultimate 11, I bought the keyboard. So now the keyboard's already preset, so all of a sudden if you want to tweak all the coolest parameters within it, it's just right there on the keyboard. That, you know, that's and actually, it comes up, and I didn't bought it because the whole Ultimate Collection uh, is so huge that it, it just makes life easier. That's actually a good point, is uh, Native Instruments, with their new their keyboard, it's pre-mapped for a lot of their things. So if your client needs to do some um, tweaking with knobs as opposed to um, you know, the mouse or anything... It will it it maps it out onto the keyboard. I haven't checked and it out also the keyboard. Control, and yeah. it, the keyboard controls yeah. the library function. Yep. So you have a browser, and it automatically starts putting it through there. Yeah. And it's just very intuitive. It's almost like the Turek keyboard is good for Turi's stuff. Yeah. And the uh, Native Instruments keyboard is good for their Native Instruments stuff. Yeah. How, no, is it a good keyboard? Yeah. I haven't actually seen it. Action's uh, really nice. It's very very. It's spot. Well, no, no, it's not sluggish. No, I mean, because I mean, what no, I no. like about it, it's got some nice bounce to it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I said synthy. It's it's oh. synthy. It's it's. It's it, not weighted. Yeah, it has, but it's it feels good. It's a, I actually played it and um, yeah. Is it, it a sixty-one key or whatever have, you want? Yeah, they have a couple different versions of them um, of the different keys. I'll check it out because that I have not checked out. It's weird that they don't go to the NAM shop. And, it, and it's also nice is that they get got key mapping. Where if all of a sudden if you're using for key switching or something like that, it's color coded. 
So when you look at the program, it tells you exactly what you want to see at that point. So you know, I will say I I use the uh, machine hardware yes. from Native Instruments, and it's amazing. So I I would have always poo pooed their hardware before, but they did machine really well. So no, it's it's my it's, guess is they did this pretty well. Yeah, too. it's kind of intuitive like that. Um, I'll tell you a another synth you should check out, um, and I think it's a contact engine too. Is uh, uh, Signal by Output. That is phenomenal. It's it's, uh, it's this Pulse engine, and it just does a lot of really cool things. That's probably the next thing I'm going to buy. I haven't actually got it. I, I saw the demo, and um, I think it's a rev. Oh, but it's it for synthy stuff, or it's for real stuff. It's very cinematic. Yeah, but it just does some really interesting, stuff. interesting yeah. stuff. It just does a lot of. It just sounds unique to what it is, and it it it. Does a lot of great sounds. That's all I can say. Is it does some sounds. So if you want anything a little bit of new, a little bit of old, a little bit of real, a little bit of not, it's as much poppy, which could be. But for film scores, trailers, stuff like that, it's just totally tricked out. You know, the other thing I would recommend, if the issue is that you want access to a lot of stuff, um, but you're obviously fighting uh, fighting computer bandwidth issues, what about using Vienna Symphonic Library VE Pro? as a system to be able to set up different banks of things that you can yeah, turn we have, on and off. We've actually played with that in the past, and that is cool. Um, it's just that I think for these purposes, just using uh, Cubase as the BST host yeah. is, is going to be good enough. I mean, the other thing we've experimented with in the past when CPU was an issue was the Muse Receptor. Yeah. Because uh, that sort of gives you a nice unified interface for a whole bunch of plugins. Yeah. I'm just trying, because... This is a brand new computer, new everything. I'm trying to get away from the receptor and just make everything in the box. Do they want orchestral sounds or is it no. primarily? Are you trash no, can? It's, no, it's going to be a MacBook Pro. No, this has to be a portable setup. And portable. no, it's not really orchestral. I mean, maybe some R&B strings every now and then. Are you going to go with solid state drives compared to? Uh... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, uh, good luck. Keep us posted on uh, on your system for your client, which we can't say, but which shall remain nameless. But we shall remain super nameless. But I think people could probably figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll be super nameless. Yeah, super nameless. But it's it's interesting because I have not done one of these setups in a few years. Yeah, and it's going to be actually. I think it's probably been well. We were talking about doing one two or three years ago, yeah. and the old one was already maybe two years old then. So it's been four, five, six years, and things have changed a lot. Well, yeah. But the cool thing that's changed is computers have gotten that much more powerful. I really think we're going to be able to do this completely in the box, which we never could before. So, so here's the question I've got. For all the keyboard and Pro Tools users, do you go for the trash can? Do you go for the i7, like iMac, with, with, Fire, uh, with Thunderbolt? Do you, because the minis don't, there's no i7 minis, I don't right. believe. Um, do you go with the laptop, you know, i7, or do you, you know, I mean, which, what do you find uh, uh, as flexible and powerful enough? I'm in hell right now, just so you know, on Trashcan, Yosemite, Pro Tools. Yeah, that's way too buggy. I, I, I'm in hell right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm on an eight core Yosemite, and yeah. I totally get it. I'm right there with you. It's like, it's, Yosemite, it's, it's like, we got to get Steve Jobs back. Just somebody, you know, If I could roll guy. back to Tiger, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, MacBook Pro, yeah. uh, i7 is the way to go. And you can always hook it to a big screen when you're home. But That's, that's what I mean. have, but I also have an iMac. With what, 32 gigs of RAM? Or 64? Some have 16 and some have 32. 
I, I have a 32. I also have an i7, an i7 uh, iMac, which is my main Pro Tools computer. And, I, you know, everybody says that they're having problems, and I haven't had a single one so far. Did you upgrade your Yosemite, or did it come with it? Came with it. Have no choice but to use Yosemite. Mm. And, and I know people Because I've heard people that have upgraded have had problems, but when you do a native install. Nope. It's a total native install. And, and using Pro Tools 11? And there's nothing on it besides Pro Tools, and it's crashing. Yeah, we talked about well, this on the last well, podcast. It, is so it, it was a, is it crashing because of Pro Tools or crashing because of Yosemite? <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> or or <laughs> does know, it matter? Because you have no choice but to use both. You know what? It, it's interesting you said that because when I, was, when I was having to troubleshoot this thing, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, okay, is this the OS crashing it or is this Pro Tools crashing? But really, like Rob said, does it really matter? Because I don't know. I don't know what's giving it. I'll tell you one thing, and, we, and I mentioned this a little bit last time, is the cores. The, the cores go just – it'll just focus everything on one core, and that core will take off. And it just goes higher and higher and higher and higher. It doesn't release, doesn't release, doesn't release. And then you go try to do something to CPU overload. It's, it's leaking. It's like there's a leak. It's like it's forcing everything down the core. Having said that, on my MacBook, I'm running the exact same um, situation and my MacBook is flawless. I do all kinds of stuff. And I've got literally on my, my Retina MacBook, I've got all my video stuff. I've got every single DAW that's out there. Um, I have it on. And it, and it, it has to interact with all these different things. Works fine. I have no problem. Me too. I've never had a crash. So I, I, it's, it's really frustrating. It might be hardware. might be software. might be specific to that particular model of computer. Can. Yeah, it's an, exactly. Yeah. That, that might be that. That's what I was asking, which is you know i seven against trash can. Yeah. So, and the other thing too is maybe you go to the trash can, then you go with like a um, a external Thunderbolt card slot, and you right. go with an HDX system because they're going to be dumping those cards pretty soon. You know, so you get an HDX system running um, native plugins, so you get zero latency when you're when you're tracking on those suckers. I mean, that might be the way to go, too, because you, with the trash cans, you're still having to rely on your buffers and your buffer settings and your zero input. It, it's, it's, I don't know. We're, I'm still in that. that and what, what kind of card set are you using with the trash can? No, we're not. I haven't used it yet, card set. I'm just, we're just going Thunderbolt oh, you're right good, now. Just so you're going totally native. I'm going Thunderbolt I.O. right now with the Omni, the Omni I.O. And, right. and the Omni's a good, it's a good little They're interface. Fun. Great interface. We have uh, three trash cans at work running uh, exactly that same rig, running Pro Tools 11 with the Omni I.O. running with in Thunderbolt. With HD mode. Native or no? With HD Native. They never crash. They're fine. Now, what was the... Are you na- using HD what was Native? The, hold on. What was the native iOS when you bought them? Was it, was it Mavericks or was it Yosemite? It may very well have been Mavericks. See, Mavericks, there's not... All the friends of mine that I've talked to who have trash cans got those on Mavericks. I yeah. don't find too many guys who have bought the trash, trash can cans. with Yosemite that's and it's burnt into the firmware so it's not even like I can roll it down it has to mm. stay there so it's kind of crazy I mean eventually I'm sure it'll get fixed but we'll see that doesn't do you any good you know no. $13,000 into it or whatever it no. costs to yeah. get you it's, know this whole rig together yeah no, and I'm similar to you because this isn't even my rig this is actually I'm setting it up for Martin mm. but it's frustrating because he as a songwriter he just he just wants to go and write right it's talk about you know not 
letting technology get in the way. He just he just needs to write, and so it's really frustrating for him to not to be able to do that. And so he goes back to his. I set him up with a second system, like I was telling you at the last podcast, and so he's writing on his on his laptop from like four years ago. But at least it's solid, as opposed to what's happening now. We'll get it. It's just the growing pains of, of having to get it. Anyhow, having said that, Radar Rob, Studio. Good, <laughs> good luck on your quest. Keep us posted, and uh, and we'll move we'll move forward. I will. I mean, the the quest has always been to get everything running on one machine, and I think we can probably do it these days, yeah. as long as we use. Plugins that are pretty efficient. There's a chance. There's so much power in in MacBooks nowadays, though. I mean, it's just ridiculous how powerful they are, and you can just get a lot done. You know, when I can edit 4K video on in your in your laptop, so solid. It's just yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing, and they're quiet and it's small. So, yep. Hey, moving forward, um, I really want to get to this. Uh, I, I want to talk about a few things, and and I need to, you know, we're going to give some hints out there, and. I want to talk about levels and layering. Okay, specifically, I wanted to talk about about layering. Um, and Scott, I want your input on this one because I was working on a on a program, and the editor um, had these gunshots. Mm-hmm. And when I played them back, there literally was probably about ten sounds layered on top of the gunshot, and. You had a little bit of the head, and then you had a bunch of body stuff, and then you had all, all these different little tails. And so I'm coming down the mix, and we get to this one part, and it hits, and it just sounds like mush. Literally sounds like mush. And and they go, check your reference, check your reference. So I check the reference, and the reference, it sounded like mush, but it was loud mush because they liked how loud it was. And so I started muting stuff, and it was – Amazing how when you stop layering and you just work on the individual characteristics of some of the sounds there, how clear everything was and how how it starts to breathe and how it starts to sound like you think it's going to sound like. And I've had that happen on a couple different projects where I've seen people edit stuff together and they go with the, you know – more is more. You know, let's put a giant layer on top. Let's, you know, throw this on top of that and top of this. And so I wanted to talk about layering and, and how important that is, whether it's in sound effects, sound design, but also you get the same thing in music. You get guys that just, just throw Doubling, layers, tripling. tripling yeah, right. gu- especially guitars. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you mixed something for a friend or something and you go, okay, here's the guitars, and you look in there, and there's like six stereo pairs of guitars, and they're all distorted, but they're all distorted a little differently. And it's like... Whoa, <laughs> you know? Well, because you end up yes. not being able to hear any of it, right? Exactly, and they think they have this great sound. They think they have this, yeah, it's full body, it's all crunch, and it's all this stuff, and it's like it sounds like mush. Um, but I wanted to talk. Let's just start with with sound effects and like like with your gunshots. I mean, I, I I'm sure there's some layering going on, but but how do you approach that? How do you approach layering when you're doing some sound design? You know, I think the old school. It's funny that you you bring this up because I've had this issue in the last two days. I've got some youngins working with me, mm. and um, and that's exactly what happened. They layered it to the point I was doing bullet impacts and actually guns, and uh, and it turned like mush. And I'm like, no, nah. <laughs> you know, th- this is what we used to do, but it's not what we do anymore. The whole point in a good mix or a good design is to understand the concept of masking. That if you keep adding sounds, there's sounds you're just not going to hear. And I'll go through people, other designers designs and I end up taking half of it out 
Because, well, wait a minute, you got two mid-range <laughs> noise floors. Right. Is there anything tonal in it? I'd rather go out now and record really great sounding, highly dynamic sounds. Use plugins in a very specific way. You smash it too much, you get that mid-range mush. And when you go to a mix, even including gunshots, you won't hear anything. Because it just becomes like the guitar. I equate everything against music. You know, when I've seen people phase align drums, you got to do the same thing with guns. You've really got to understand the phase alignment of it. And also you got to understand how the speakers are going to work with, through different types of excursions. So a lot of times I'm taking my sub and actually making it early, not late. Not even at the same. Because the sub takes a little bit of time to get going compared to the high frequencies. So I'm doing this weird kind of time alignment. So sometimes the sub will go an eighth of a frame, quarter frame, hmm. before. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it just depends on, on how. And you've got to figure out, is it the first mod or is it the peak of the sound? That's brilliant. So then you've, you, know, you look at it and you've got to figure out, if you look at everything mid-range and you just stack it, it's going to sound like crap. Yep. But if you sit there and you go, let's say with a gun, uh, you know, here's the mechanism. Here's the little ching, ching, here's right. that really bright. Also, where is it spatially? And then the other part is with a gunshot. You hit that center section where the, the point source is. And then a lot of times I'll put a second type of gunshot, slightly delayed, rolling the high end off a little bit so it's not as peaky, but squishing it for left and right speaker. So now all of a sudden I've got some of the balls. But I got the detail in the center. That's the first thing your ear hears, and then it opens and winds out to left and right, and then you've got the gun report that's all over the surrounds. So now the whole room goes kaboom, and you go, wow, this is huge. Now, do you do that on every single gun? No. Or do you do that on, like, on like your lead, and then... It's, it's accents. Yeah, I mean, it's... accents here Yeah, I mean, because if you want a point source, point source, point source, and your big hero comes out with a giant gun... And just ends it all. Right. You know, and it's the giant cannon. Right. And the whole room moves and everybody just grins. Yeah, so you're not subbing all your gunshots. You're just, you're no, no, I, could see, I can't rely on the subs. Right. Subs sound different in every room. Yeah. So again, I started listening to timpani. And I go, why is it that every time I hear a film score, timpani's go and it's a beautiful low end and there's no sub. And I'm going, okay, what are they doing? And I'm finding that on the low end, simpler waveforms translate better. If you put complex waves on big woofers, they don't. I, I find they don't translate correctly. Mm-hmm. Same thing even with subs. So if you have a <laughs> something which gives you a nice excursion, a nice right. poof yeah. of air, because I like, like a pa rather than a wa yeah. on the sub and, and the low end. So yeah, I, I, I kind of deconstruct my sounds and then reconstruct it. It's the same way an orchestra does. When a or- whole orchestra hits a chord, it's not the same frequency and the same timbre. Right. And when it goes, it all plays beautifully. And I think that between design and mixing, that's kind of the, the golden chalice that we're all going for. I love the push this up. I am going to do that. that and the immediacy. I mean, brilliant. This, and also the spatialness to it. I mean, where are all the sounds spatially the same? And if they're not, how do you want to delay them? How do you want to set them apart? I find when I'm mixing... A good chunk of me, uh, what I do is deconstruct the sound design to a point where, to me, it it adds clarity. I love clear mixes. Yeah. I hate mush mixes. I, I find when I'm working with layers, especially on on quick sounds that need to come in and come and go, like your explosions or impacts or anything like that, 
you got to really protect the transient. You got to protect that attack transient. When you start layering a ton of attack transients on top of each other, it gets mushy really quick. It and you, smears it, and, and all of that work is gone. Yeah, all that detail yeah. is and gone. you can't identify that sound. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before. You identify the sounds by that first little. You know, the difference between wood and metal, you'll know in milliseconds just by hearing the attack of that. I mean, in the days when you were talking about D50s and all that, <laughs> I used to grab, like, DX7s as my percussiveness, grabbing Oberheims and, and, and Rollins, and I used to put these massive MIDI chains together for one sound because it really got, you know, you didn't want to just make it thick and mushy, right. but you wanted all these, like, little elements that when you play, it's just cool. You know, it's clear, that's that's brilliant. I, I love that, Nick. When you're when you're doing stuff for mobile and and you're trying to get some clarity and you you get some of this layered stuff, or do you get this layered stuff? I mean, uh, well, uh, two days ago, <laughs> two days ago, Are we working with the same team. I think so. No, yeah, yesterday. Uh, it was yesterday. I was working with a youngin, and he, you know, I asked him to. Uh, you know, sound design up and, you know, a video thing. And I said, okay, get, bring it to me and I'll mix it. And I took one look at it and I went, or I took one listen through it and I said, what's wrong with this? What's, what's going on with all the sound design? And first thing that I found was that he had strapped Ozone onto the sound effects bus and another one onto the master bus. Hmm. So he was mixing into a pair of limiters that he had on the thing, right? And then I was like, and then I took a look and he had taken all of these sound effects and to make them louder, he had like gained, you know, clip gained them up like 10 dB. And I said, okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to work on gain staging. And I like deleted the limiters out of the plugin chain. I said, these are gone. We're just going to listen and use our ears now. Uh, and then I went and got all the gain back together again for the sound effects. And then I did exactly the same thing, Scott. I went through and he had four sounds on a thing and I removed two of them or I removed three of them and just muted them in Pro Tools and said, what is it that's trying to speak here over the music that's happening? Um, same kind of thing. I spent almost all of my time getting that mix ready by using high-pass filters and getting rid of mid-range crap and all of this stuff that was in there because there was an enormous piece of music that was playing through the entire thing. And all of the sound design wasn't going to speak anyway. All it was doing was creating a big, you know, load of mush. So there was like a, a moment. And the 400 hertz buildup. Everything just it's builds just up and becomes. sounding, right? Yeah. You know, and, you know, it was horrible enough that whoever had, like, mastered the music had decided that L1 is the greatest thing since sliced bread and i was looking at a brick there but you know i mean there was a perfect moment there there's a moment where there's a guy lifting uh lifting barbells right and you know he's 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 a kid he's a great kid and he went to music school and learned how to do all this stuff and it was just you know sort of there's a lot of learning that you have to do about what doesn't work he had like five different layers of metal squeaks and these and things and that and i got rid of all of it except for one little clank and then I rolled off all the low end. I brought in some upper mids and a little bit of high end and said, now listen to what it sounds like against the music. And then when you play it back, oh, now you can actually hear a little bit of metal clink as the guy is lifting up the barbells, right? Right. And so my advice to any sound designer, you know, I think everybody goes through this, this phase of saying, well, obviously the sound needs to be big by having a lot of sounds. Right. That's not it. The right thing to do is to pick the right sound or the right three sounds and have a high-frequency sound, a mid-range sound, and a low-end sound that you then mix together to be able to create something that's a composite that speaks and doesn't destroy all of the beautiful detail and articulation that you've recorded. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, most people don't think about, the mix volume. But you also, if you start thinking about breaking uh, your sounds into components, 
like you were talking high, medium, large, which we do all the time, uh, now you start mixing frequencies, volumes of frequencies. And it's not stagnant, it's dynamic. So you sit there and you carve it out, you bring it back, and you know the EQs are constantly moving as well. Yep. One other thing too, on on if you're working with layers, man, zoom in and look at the front of all your sounds that you're putting on top of each other, and make sure that they're if they're all attack sounds, make sure you line them all up because if you turn your attack into a flange, the I mean into a flam, that's just gonna get. Just gonna, it's going to soften the, the hit. The other thing to keep in mind, a lot of people when they want, and we've all had this happen, I think, with like video editors who have delivered us files with temp audio, and when they've wanted a sound effect to be louder and they were out of fader room, they just duplicate the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> so then you have two tracks that are both pegged. I love that. Oh, that, I mean, come on, they do that on dialogue, they do that Yeah, it's oh, just, oh, it needed to be louder, so we duplicated the yeah. track. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> like getting a track from an editor and it's like, oh, okay, this is like 48 tracks, and then, wait... And then you move all the duplicates, and it's like six. You right. know, you have to get your gain staging <laughs> together. And people don't understand that you can't mix until you get your gain staging together. Yeah. Well, and what I was going to say is the thing to remember: it's true in every sort of art form, but contrast is everything, yeah. and it, it applies to visual stuff and, and audio stuff. But in this case, a loud sound is only a loud sound because it's compared to a soft sound. Right? Yeah, I got an editor you need to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is. You know, you, you can't get louder than loud. Uh, yeah, and and you can only tell something's loud if it's against something soft. It's like you can only tell if something's bright if it's against something dark. And and mixing is a game of contrast, so you don't need this hugely complicated uh, sound most of the time. It's right. about finding all of the most important components of a sound, getting rid of the rest of it, and and getting their relative contrast together. They're, you know, a big problem is and it doesn't matter whether it's music or effects. I think. Is it sometimes people that listen, they solo up just what they're working on and they build that one thing to make it sound great, but then it doesn't fit with the track. Yeah, because no one's ever going to hear it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah context I, is everything. I think context is everything. I think, you know, don't be sloppy editor, is, is, you know, line stuff up. And, and really, you, you think of it as like energy and you have this palette and you can only mix so many colors before it all turns into gray. Right, and it's the exact same thing with with audio. You know, you can only put so many sounds and so many frequencies before it's all going to turn to mush. And I also think a lot of people, especially younger people, mix wrong. And what I mean by that is, I actually do downward mixing, not upward mixing. And what I mean by that is, I start with those things that are the most important, whether it's dialogue or vocals or something, things that have to be up front. And then I mix things quieter compared to that. So you, whether it's like guns. What's the biggest, what in that scene or that section of that has to be really heard and understood? Then you bring that up, you make it sound good, and then you start bringing things behind it. And you start carving things out that are cluttering that up. Most people, like you were saying, mix louder, louder, louder. Why can't I get it bigger? You're never going to get bigger. You're going to go quieter. You know, a perfect example of that is live sound. Where I think there's a whole generation of mixers, live sound mixers, who've learned the wrong way. Now, the way I was taught, which is is exactly what you're saying, what's the quietest thing on stage? Well, it's the vocals. So you start with that, and then you mix everything around it so you can hear the vocals instead of starting with the kick drum and making that the loudest thing. How many times have you gone to a concert where all you hear is a kick and snare? Right. Bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, that sound check. But, but it's exactly the, you know what you're saying. Yeah, 
I I'm, I have to mix these programs and and I have to mix it against the reference mix that I get from the editor, and they love the editor. They love all the, the loudness that they that the editor gets and all these these really big impacts and things like that, you know. And I'm working in the real world of you know calm act and levels that I have to stay to, and so I took the I took the editor's reference mix that the one that they wanted me to reference, and I ran it through um, LM Correct, which is uh, you know, it'll analyze what what your frequencies. I mean, what your levels are, and so we're supposed to be at minus twenty four. I analyzed the uh, the editor's temp mix, and it was at minus six. <laughs> so then I corrected it. So then I okay, well, let me correct it to show them what's happening. So then I correct it, and the dialogue goes away because everything else is so loud that their norm for dialogue was probably like. Oh, maybe minus, you know, 36, you know, maybe minus 40. It was that low. So it's like, see, this is, this is what we have to contend with. If you want to get your dialogue here, then just know we don't have a whole heck of a lot of room to do your giant multi-level, level, you know, 10 but, layers of But explosions. you see, you're lucky. The Com Act actually has made that in such a way that now you can explain that to a, a client where before I bet it was a lot oh, more, yeah. more difficult was, where now you say look it's against the law yeah, it's, it's not your fault yeah, yeah, yeah it's, not your fault but at the same time they want the same dynamics though so it's, it's a little game and one of the things I always do though I, with all my clients now it's almost like I kind of force them to do it I have to tune their rooms because <laughs> what happens on the Avid is they go well give me a sound louder than what I have and I'll look at their OMFs and they're plus 12 and I'm like, you you can't get any louder. <laughs> and they're listening to it at like 74 dB. Yeah. So then you turn up the you know 85 film, and they're like, ah, it's too loud. So and they go, well, I can't go in and change all my volumes because they've put too much work in there. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times I go in, I said, here's 85, and they're like, wow, that's really loud. So what are you going to do? You got to take all your sounds and bring it down. Yeah. yeah. Trim the so whole when thing you back. you trim it all back, and then when you need it. You've got plenty of room. You know, speaking of, of fixing your clients' rooms, I had a client once, I did a mix, rather famous client, and um, I kept on getting it back. No, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't sound right. I'm thinking, wow, this sounds really good. I, I don't quite get it. So after about the third time of it doesn't sound right, I said, where are you listening to this? Well, I'm listening in my car. Okay, can I go listen to your car? <laughs> and I get in the car and I find out that one speaker, the whole one side, is barely working, and it's all oh, this is all distorted. <laughs> it's like, well, well, here's your problem. You see, come come and listen to in my car or in my room. You right. know. So again, it's the client's reference point. And and what I'm finding kind of crazy now, I'm, uh, and this is just as recently, especially internationally, not just nationally. I'll send client sounds, and they go, I really like the sounds. I said, thank you. They're not quite. Enough low end. <laughs> so I'm going, oh, okay. So we said, and they'd be goose up low and like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Any more you can give me? And I'm like, really? Hmm. Okay. So after a while, I should have asked this the first time. <laughs> what you listening to this on? Their iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, oh, look, I got a sound. Let me, let me listen to it. It's not enough low end. Yeah. And we started doing frequency analysis on uh, some of these mobile devices, and yeah. it's it's scary bad. Oh, there, there is no low end. Yeah, it's not existent. Uh, yeah, there's nothing on an iPhone below like 180. 
if you're lucky. I mean, for like when when I mix stuff that's sound effects heavy and has a lot of like um, sub drops and things like that, I always have to pump something in there that's going to play on you know in reality. So it's just not a bunch of emptiness when you play it on your laptop or. But, on your but you know what is good though, uh, like the old console. I know some record mixers used to take a speaker and put it on the floor, aim it towards a wall or something. Mm-hmm. You do get to really hear how things contrast, and oh, you're yeah. like. Wow, go in the hall and listen. Yeah, that, to the you door. go. That's kind of always. sticking out a little bit, you know. Hmm. Let me let me. Tuck we that always in. listen from outside the room. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or dim, like I always dim my speakers. I'll do a pass of everything, just listen it down, you know, minus twenty dB, and just to get it down there, just so you can see what what pops and what's yeah. not popping. And Does stuff. anyone using uh, Aratones or Aratone yeah. like yeah. speakers? Yeah. I have an Avantone on my desk, and the Omni has got a button that you can use to be able to switch speakers and yep. so I hit constantly going back and forth I have Oratones you do have yeah. real Oratones I have, I have original Oratones and they're, they're so old that the drivers are separating the cones are separating oh, and I've got to find new drivers for them but. well see you can't because they, they don't exist anymore Right. Um, Dave Hampton uh, engineer for uh, Herbie Hancock and um, I'm trying to think who else um, P- Prince uh, he actually built a boutique Aratone knockoff a replacement. It's called Reftone. Huh. So I'll have to check it like Yeah, and, and apparently he got it as close as he could. He's a smart guy, so I'm sure it's cool. Yeah, just I still love it. Buy a bunch of USB speakers and, and, yeah. and well know, yeah, I, I actually you know, have done that. You know what? It's not too hard to get close to Aratones. Just think of the crappiest, smallest little speakers. But there. I'll tell you, I, I actually <laughs> had to, to it it was a long quest to find the right ones. And, and the reason why was You'd find them, and then they'd buzz if they got close to the monitor. The monitor, you know, <clears throat> or, or yeah. all sorts of weird stuff that would happen where, you know, it's like, well, they shouldn't do that. They just should be There's one thing I like. On, uh, I, I've got barefoot <clears throat> speakers, the uh, MM27s, and they actually have a four-way switch. That one is the barefoot sound, the other one is the hi-fi, which is great because it's a little smiley face, and it slightly defocuses it. Hmm. So all those sounds, sound, I'd say it sounds a little bit like JBL. Hmm. Then it goes down to an NS10 and an Oratone. Oh, come on. And, oh, absolutely. And they're doing it a combination of DSP, but also turning off drivers. Wow. They actually shut them off. That and, is awesome. And a friend of mine has Oratones, and I said, so how does it compare? And he's like, scary good. No, I mean, scary. the fidelity's up there, but frequency range, no, that's, what, that's all you're going to get. Wow. So I can switch it down and go, whoa, I, okay. I, I lose have, all that. I have Oratones. Um Powered by uh, Crown 250, mm. and uh, that's like the classic. Talking about old school, that's, that's geez. Like the classic yeah. setup. But I've I've mixed on that setup. I had it at this studio where I'm at now, but I also had the exact same setup at the other studio that I had, um, and uh, they're cool. But some of the, the they they just blur your sound enough so that you know yeah. how it's going. To I couldn't live without the Oratones. Actually, I'm so used to checking everything yeah. on them. I mean, yeah, everything. I have to find new drivers for mine. I mean, I I don't know where I'm going to find them. I'm going to have to find somebody getting rid of some. Well, check out Reftone and see if maybe they'll they'll be a fist. Yeah, 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 I, I got to still have the Oratone label sitting there. Oh, though. Yeah, and yeah. a friend of mine to remind me of trick is uh, your old like MacBook laptop that you don't use anymore. Yeah, right. The right. old ones all had line ins. Yeah, yeah. So you just take I, it yeah, line into it, and then you just kind of listen to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We That's do that. Good. Well, hey, listen. Um, you know, when you're mixing and when you're working on a project, it's not always about 
more is more, you know. So when you're layering and just really pay attention, you know, just like Nick was saying and like Scott was saying that, you know, you just got to find the right frequencies, the right sounds at the right frequencies. And then, you know what? If you have sounds and you want to make it bigger, it's not always about laying another sound on it. Sometimes a little subtractive EQ will do will do the just a good of a job. So, um, really listen to to what you're trying to accomplish. I also think I'm just just one more add sure. to that, and that's just a, uh, an arranger of a composition. It's kind of like a sound designer and trying to figure out what instruments are happening, and that's when you hear like great orchestral arrangements yep. that have air. Yeah, and everything has their place rather than just stacking it all in there. Votel. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Well, hey, listen. Um, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. This has been a fun show. I will say yeah. this has been a really we've covered a lot of things, but it's been really good, and I've learned some great stuff from uh, Scott. I always learn good stuff from you guys. You guys are awesome. Speaking of awesome, Rob, see. Like that? Oh, what a segue. Like that segue. <laughs> Are you uh, working on anything uh, cool? Well, I'm happy to report I am working on a lot of things, but uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is The Misses' second single called You Told Me is making its way up the radio charts. Nice. And it's actually now in the top 40 on both FMQB and BDS, the two biggest uh, wow. radio tracking charts. So, yeah. yeah. We've got a top 40 hit that I produced. Look so at you. Cool. Wow. wow. And we can always say we were there when... When it was no, just... I'd rather you not say okay. that. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing is, you told me we're actually releasing the new music video this week, or by the time you hear this, two weeks ago, as Bobby was saying. <laughs> but we have a new music video coming for You Told Me that you'll be able to see at themisses.com and on YouTube. And uh, it's all pretty cool. And the other cool thing about it is, You Told Me is getting enough attention now that a lot of people are discovering Enough, which was the first single. And Enough never really had a, uh, a radio campaign Behind it, we may do one later in the year, but Enough is uh, starting to really pick up just by people discovering it in the wild. And Enough has that mirror video, which if you haven't seen, it's a very emotional, cool video that the band did. Um, But so Enough is sort of gearing up again because You Told Me is doing so well. So things for the misses are starting to hop. Nice. Awesome. Nick, how about you? Uh, working on a bunch of things, writing music at Disney as always, uh, writing some music for uh, some other projects as well that I can't talk about. Um, and the other thing that I'm doing is recording a, a book um, on, you know, eventually on MP3 for a website that I'm doing. And it's a lot of fun. It takes a long time to narrate and edit a 250 page book. That's, oh. I don't, uh, I don't, you know, the VO artists that can do that kind of stuff, the, you know, the people that do, you know, books on CD for Audible, that's, that, that's quite a job. But it's a lot of fun and it's been a wonderful and really interesting learning experience for me. Wow. Well, yeah. good for you. Can't wait till it's done. You can tell us all about it. I will. Scott, how Hello. about you? I got nothing. I got nothing I can talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I'm in this weird mode. I'm in, uh, yeah. I think I'll yeah. just stop there. Scott's working on, and he's also doing a little bit of, and he's going to end the year with. <laughs> just like Rob's designing a system for it. Okay. <laughs> Bobby. Well, I'm heading to the University of South Carolina tomorrow. Hey, wait, really quick. You just came back from Alaska, didn't you? I just came back from Alaska, yeah. How was that? Uh, well, the day before I went to Alaska, I was in Vancouver, and I spoke at... Um, Trying to think of the the school. God, they'll kill me for this. Vancouver Film School. No. 
University of Nimbus, Vancouver. Nimbus. It's called Nimbus, and it was the most fantastic school I think I've ever seen the way it was put together. Um, Bob Ezrin is one of the partners that put it together. He did it specifically to make really great assistance because he was there was a dearth of them. But that being said, it, this school was fabulous in so many ways. Anyway, I spoke there, and I went to Alaska on a little cruise, and I also uh, spoke at a little thing in Juneau. Wow. Juno. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, which and all I can say is if you've never been to Alaska, you want to go there because at least once in your life you have to visit it. It's fantastic. That's cool. So anyway, tomorrow I'm heading to the University of South Carolina. I'm a mentor in the Savvy Business Program. It's a, f- a music business program. And mostly I think for classical oriented musicians but i'll let you know when i come back so that's five days that's a long time that's great and uh still working on 101 mixing tricks and there's going to be a lot more mixing tricks pretty soon and as well as another online course that i'm doing and then getting ready to hit the studio for another album project that i'm producing wow yeah a lot going on so you're not working on anything either just like scott yeah (laughs) how about you mike um, I'm just, I'm just mixing a lot of stuff for Fox and for FX. Just still in the animation mode. Going to be that way for about another three weeks. That's animation weeks. domination. That's yeah. That's uh, stuff, yeah. Goal and the Insatiable. Just uh, oh, I just saw that last night. Yeah, yeah. that was good. Yeah, yeah. I did the sound design and mix for that. Yeah, and that was then great. Um, doing Lucas Brothers and uh, Major Laser mm-hmm. and uh, Stone Quackers and Axe Cop. A bunch of you know they're all fun. All of them are fun, but. They're just, it's just a lot of work. And there's a lot of work now. It's like turnarounds are so quick. So it's, right. it's kind of stressful, you know, but it's fun. It, it, you know, anytime you get to go to work and work in audio, it's just, it's, I mean, you can't complain. You know, I always tell people when I tell, you know, interns and assistants, and I, I say, just keep it in perspective where you're at, right? Just keep it in perspective where you're at. You, you can never have a, bad day here compared to where you could be you know so even our worst day in the studio is still better than a lot of places you know so you gotta be thankful but yeah it's fun i'm enjoying that and uh, we'll see what happens trying to plan a vacation maybe to alaska so we'll we'll see how that goes anyhow if you have any comments or questions you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com that's audio at nowcastnetwork.com and uh i want to thank really quick uh christy mcconville who is actually here in person she was the intern from uh last year and uh, she's back and she's uh, manning the board right now all right christy all right and also uh delbert Hunt, who uh, helps us out, he's here also, so we gotta give a shout out to him. Thank you. All right, well, (laughs) hey, from all of us here at the Audio Nowcast, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>